I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. I'm Joseph Finn. And we love to watch. We love to witness. I'm holding your wheel. Another idea that you can use. Ready? Um, <laughs> three, two, one. My name is Aaron. My name is Pete. My name is Joseph. And we love to watch in the burning fire of the sand. <laughs> you switching out rules now? <laughs> I mean, and when you watch this movie, we don't have to use that as a but like when you watch this movie, it's hard not to like walk around your house for like two weeks going, my name is Max. <laughs> uh, <laughs> My name is Max Keeble, and I'm about to do a pretty big move. <laughs> My name is Eddie Brock. <laughs> no, Joseph! Oh, um, listen, there's only two movies where someone speaks in a gravelly voice. <laughs> Those are Mad Max Fury Road and Venom. Everyone else uh, in my universe, uh, Alec Baldwin and Will Arnett do not exist. My name is Bane. <laughs> uh, no, that's more Mortar's Bane. <laughs> um, anyways, yeah, what we love to watch. We're a movie podcast. We pick a theme. We do movies over the course of that month around that theme. And if we remember, we compare and contrast super easy this month because all of the movies start the same character, the titular Furious Max. And uh, we're already done with the month. Uh, these movies rule. And it's rare that when you go run a series, as we've kind of done this month with Mad Max, Road Warrior, uh, Beyond Thunderdome, that you get to the fourth. Normally, that's the one, like, you know, you get, like, an alien resurrection, which Peter and I really like. But it's more like there's some flaws. It's a little long in the tooth. It's not perfect. Or, like, a Batman and Robin, which is, like, this is a blight on society as a whole. And then, like, uh, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of other fourth. Oh, Indiana Jones, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, where you're, like, I waited 20 years to watch this garbage on screen. Blah, blah, blah. It's rare you get to the fourth one where you're, like, now we've arrived at the best one. But I think... Even having rewatched all the other Mad Max movies, I'm going to say, Peter, we haven't talked about this. I'm going to assume that you're in agreement that this is, I don't want to say by far, but this is definitely the best one, Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, yeah. And I don't think it takes away from the, the uniqueness of the other ones. I mean, like, they're all kind of all are great. Like objects. Yeah. 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 Uh, but but this, yeah, this is the one that this is the one that like makes my blood pump. And like today, I was I was uh, I watched it again last night. I watched it a couple times for the for this episode. Um, Never stop I, watching. Today it. I was at work and I was just like, I'm just thrumming right now. Like I can't sit in a desk. <laughs> this is wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's a movie that I've probably seen ten or fifteen times at this point since it came out too, which is a lot for a movie that came out essentially about four years ago, uh, four and a half years ago. And I never am not immediately just fully focused. There's that point where you watch a movie as someone – I have watched other movies that often because I have kids. And even movies I like, like Moana, which was like my – I think my 10th favorite movie of 2016. Um, 
you know, like the 10th or 15th time, I don't really feel as much need to stay super focused on the movie. Just because I, at that point, it just becomes like a, a song I already know all the lyrics to and there's not that many surprises. So, yeah, you, your kid watches it and then you tune out. I can't imagine that happening with Fury Road. It is a movie I've seen so many times. I've shown to so many people. It is the type of movie where when I get a new TV or something like that, I'm like, I want to watch Fury Road on it. And I'm never like passively watching the best parts and then scrolling through my phone or carrying on a conversation because it's a two-hour movie. They're all the best parts. Uh, it is truly an amazing movie. It is – someone described it, I think, somewhat – accurately um it's the it's the final 20 minutes of road warrior and how exciting and pulse pounding those are kind of stretched out into two hours although stretch implies like it can't uh it can't maintain its uh density or whatever its mass uh it can it can absolutely uh it can absolutely uh keep its mass and its max for that matter but before we get any further we're joined by someone who's been on the podcast at least on an annual basis, but hasn't been on for an actual episode in a while, uh, mainly because uh, we did a we did a guest request month back in I think 2017. Uh, he he guested five or six times on the show uh, and brought us a little Clint Eastwood movie called Firefox to talk about. And uh, if you've seen the movie Firefox, you know that deserves at least a three year banning from the episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> And but he's he stayed on every year doing our one year late best of uh, best of the year movie episodes, which are always a ton of fun. So Joseph, and welcome in a sense back. He's to- done like twenty five episodes a year if you if you count that as movies. Yeah, I mean, and that's why he's on. So in 2015, we did our first ever, it was supposed to be just an extra segment back when we used to do unrelated segments at the beginning of episodes. And we decided to do a best of 2015 in 2016, so one year late. Uh, in that we had enough time to kind of get to know all the movies and we ended up talking for an hour and decided it should be its own show and then also decided it should be its own recurring uh, first episode of the year that we did. And in that first episode, the 2015 one, all three of our favorite movies of that year wasn't even a contest uh, where it was Mad Max Fury Road. So it only seemed fair, not only after his long exile, much like Max wandering the desert, hoping that we ask him to do a movie, but his return to the Citadel is met with a movie that we uh, all had to had to give our truncated praises of back in 2016. I am happy to return from the Thunderdome. Hi, folks. Joseph Finn here, and I am so happy to be back. Thanks, you, thank you again, and once again, Firefox, pretty good movie. <laughs> Do you want another three-year ban? <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad movie. You sell out your own feelings when you come on the show about Firefox. Yeah, Joseph, welcome, welcome back. Uh, it's fun to have you on a regular episode. We can really sit down and dig in as opposed to... Uh, uh, speeding along whenever anybody starts to feel an emotion. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, this is this is this is the this is like the crowd pleaser movie uh, among our like our film group, but also outside of it. Like, I don't know a single person who's seen this movie and doesn't have the sort of like fuck yeah Fury Road reaction. Like, well, so that's you, I, I'm not saying you have to like this movie, but if you don't and you do like action movies at all. I kind of feel like you're lying or you're putting on <laughs> I feel like you're not operating on uh on uh, uh good faith in some sense. 
I, I, I actually was like, this is that movie that uh, audiences love, critics love. You know, it was even nominated for Best Picture. Uh, I want to talk before we get into the movie proper. I want to talk about like this was like a kind of an eye roll developmental hell movie for almost like two decades before it actually uh, came back on screen. And I think no one was anticipating it to be just truly a movie that like. Everyone uh, from the nerdiest film bro that you know to the guy at your office who sees a movie a year loves. Um, but I did do some checking because I was kind of curious. I'm like, do, does anyone that I know not like this movie in our like little letterbox dissolve world? And I, I'm not going to call this person out on air. But I did look at letterbox ratings of like the 300 some people that I follow. About 250 had had rated this movie. Only one person had less than three stars, and that person has been on the show many times. So I avoided <laughs> asking that person, uh, wait, you don't like this movie? Like, Because I'm actually extremely curious because it's someone whose opinion I respect uh, and who I think is an amazing person in general. If they're listening, they probably know exactly who I'm talking about. Um, but I, I, I am interested to dig in because they really – that is the only person I saw who had some some level of problems with the movie or just didn't do it for them. But it, it – but that's but even saying that, it's so rare when you look at like these like you can go to like Raiders of the Lost Ark and there'll be like five people you follow on Letterboxd that are like two stars, <laughs> Spielberg sucks. So even only seeing like one person under that three, three and a half star barrier was super surprising. Where it's just five stars is just a full page on your phone of all the people you follow. So yeah, this is like this is the movie. I think it was the dissolves in our in our film poll of a few hundred people that contributed. In that it was oh, the runaway best movie of twenty fifteen. Uh, but as the person who runs that, yes, it was yeah. it, it was a massive win. So and it is funny because like I don't think until people saw that first trailer, which was all of a sudden like oh wait holy shit is this going to be good? And then reviews came out that were like holy shit this is amazing. I don't think anyone had any expectations for this movie. What what were your guys? So I was one of those people who even back in the 2000s and like late 90s was on those. I don't even it wasn't like any cool news. But like I remember a, a movie site had like current updates on all these like genre films that were supposedly coming up. So it'd be like Alien 5 um, and like all, all these things that never saw the light of day and like. Mad Max 4, Mad Max Fury Road was always on IMDb, like, in development, uh, or these, like, 20, 25-year-old, uh, like, websites that are said, well, here's the, the the most current update on what's going on with Mad Max 4, and it was always never going to be with Mel Gibson. George Miller start, try, uh, started trying to make this in 1995, 10 years after beyond Thunderdome when he got the rights back for Mad Max from from Warner Brothers. I want to get into more detail about like the man uh, the man who shot Don Quixote like uh, uh, errors and tragedies that befell his attempts to make this for 20 years. Um, but yeah, it was like no Mel Gibson. And this is especially before uh, Mel Gibson was outed as the worst person on Earth. Um, and it like this, you know, 
decades removed sequel. Yeah, what was what was your guys' like just general was this movie on your radar? Was it something you were looking forward to before you like started seeing trailers for? It? What was your guys' take on this? I vaguely knew that George Miller had been working on something, but I don't know that I knew that he was working on a full-scale Mad Max movie. Because for, you know, for the previous decade, he had been working on, frankly, a lot of uh, children's movies because he had children. Exclusively. Exclusively, yes. Uh, And then all of a sudden you start hearing rumors, oh, he's in Africa or something working on something and nobody seems to know exactly what it is. And then that trailer dropped and you're like, how how was this somehow coming out of nowhere? I, at least for me, I heard about this and assumed it was not happening because a George Miller's name had like lost probably I assume lost some cachet in Hollywood, uh, and b uh, it was a movie that had been bandied about since I first fell in love with Road Warrior when I was in uh, junior high. I mean, obviously it. it uh, it, it, there were attempts to get it on the ground right after Beyond Thunderdome, but there were a lot of serious attempts in the early 2000s, which is about when I fell in love with Road Warrior. Um, and when the trailer came out, I was absolutely pumped and on on uh, definitely uh, definitely on board on the hype train um, because at the time I was like seeing every single thing that Tom Hardy was making. Like yeah. it wasn't because of George Miller; it was because I just wanted to see Tom Hardy play this character that I love so much. And at that point I was like, especially in 2015, even more, maybe even more so now, but I don't know. Um, <laughs> I did not want to see Mel Gibson come back and play old no. man, old man, Max Rakitansky, right? Like, right. Um, but I, I, you do have a point where it did seem to come out of nowhere and then become everyone like a, a cause celeb for, for everyone and for a long time like people like people that missed it in theaters would be like oh shit did you hear about this movie fury road and you're like yeah i saw it twice in theaters it was fucking amazing <laughs> um, yeah it became like a weird adult star wars where people like just got back for, for the seventh time it's just and no one was like that's weird like everyone yeah. everyone was like oh yeah i i can see why you'd keep going to see that in theaters yeah but as soon as i saw the trailer i was on board and i should say here um i'm someone with who has in the past um, call, been, like, apprehensive to a, a strange decision or a strange reboot or, you know, uh, a, uh, I've been cynical about, I should say, about uh, this sort of stuff. Um, but in this case, I was I was pretty optimistic throughout. Like, I, I, I'm on record as saying, like, when they said Heath Ledger was playing the Joker, I was like, uh, yeah, uh, this fucking thing. And what also, record I don't are fucking you buy, I don't, I don't fucking buy... That everybody knew it was going to be an amazing idea before it happened. Mm-hmm. Like, I, everybody I talked to at the time was like, yeah, he was good in Brokeback Mountain, but like, this seems like a waste of time for him. I remember somebody going, uh, the, oh, the guy from 10 Things About You is going to be the Joker? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it, it, like even people that saw Brokeback Mountain were like uh, apprehensive. So, But now everyone has fucking uh, <laughs> retroactive hindsight. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you, though. The movie did seem to come out of Mad Max Fury Road seemed to come out of nowhere in a way that, like, I don't think anybody expected it to just take over the conversation in film groups for a long time. Yeah. And let's talk about that a little. So even though it definitely felt like I think the hype train came out of nowhere, um, 
Yeah, this movie really didn't come out of nowhere. Uh, so it was it was supposed to. He got the right. George Miller got the rights in 1995. Back from Warner Brothers. The previous Mad Max movie had been 10 years before Beyond Thunderdome. Before, as we kind of talked about uh, this month, before Mel Gibson became a huge star. Um, the Mad Max movies were wrapped up by 85. Mel Gibson becomes a huge star in 87 with Lethal Weapon. Uh, so not – and then all, then he's starring in a, in a bunch of things after that. So uh, George Miller in 1995 even said he had no intention really to make the movie with Mel Gibson. He wanted someone who was in that same age range that, um, that Mel Gibson had been playing uh, so that he can kind of continue to do these – these sequels that are sequels with one consistent character and then a new setting, but it feels like it all kind of takes place in the same general time without, you know, he, he wasn't looking to make a uh, let's look back on this character 20 years later type movie and see how how age has affected his, his apocalyptic journeys. Like, that wasn't the movie that he ever planned to make. So he kept getting budgets for the movie and then things kept happening. He was about to shoot... Um, in uh get started production in uh in a, in uh the late 90s uh there was like rain rain that destroyed an entire set he had ready and they had to pause for a little bit uh then he got ready again and had to stop because of uh, 9-11 in the iraq war he was planning to shoot some in the middle east and he couldn't uh then he cast heath ledger uh as mad max um and that didn't work out for obvious reasons. And then in 2009, he started production on a – he basically scrapped the script, said, I'm not going to be able to do this anymore, and was going to make a action CGI movie that incorporated elements of the script. Um, and then that ended up getting scrapped. And then he finally secured the funding for this in 2011 and then cast Tom Hardy. So for four years between casting – so this this movie was in some level of production uh, on the finished product that we had from 2011 till its release in 2015, and uh, cast Tom Hardy in it. Uh, so right around the time he's in Dark Knight, uh, Dark Knight uh, Rises, and then um, uh, was actually going to shoot uh, this and its sequel, Mad Max Furioso uh, or Furiosa, back to back. And then they couldn't get the full funding that they wanted to have the budget to do that. So he kind of went back and just decided he was going to do Fury Road and incorporated some aspects in uh, the Furiosa script that he had written into Fury Road. So from what it sounds like, this movie, besides having a 20-year gestation period from from conception to to birth, uh, is actually like his 1995 script – but he had kind of storied, worked out for the movie. Uh, actually, sorry, he actually wrote it in 1998. Um, but uh, so he had that and then combined with another idea he had had after trying to get this movie made of another movie called Mad Max Furiosa. And then at the last, not the last minute, but right before they were really starting to go into production, smashing those two scripts together. And... Yeah, so this was, I mean, this was one of those things that, again, had just been out there for me as both a Mad Max fan and a hunter of what genre movies are coming out, what's in development hell for a long time. And it it seemed like a movie that was never going to happen. Peter, I was not necessarily excited about Tom Hardy in the role. 
Um, or not having, I should say not having Mel Gibson in the role prior to like Mel Gibson's 2005, 2006 stuff. Cause again, that, that was out there well before the Mel Gibson stuff. It was like, how are you going to recast your lead character? Like Mel Gibson is Mad Max. Um, it just felt like as you were alluding to the mistake, all of these, we haven't made a sequel in a long time. We're going to do a soft reboot. With a new character, it's all those horror stories of, of um, what's his face is going to be the new Indiana Jones. Why am I blanking his name? Uh, oh, Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf is going to be the new Indiana Jones, or like his name like uh, Spunky or Rocky or some shit in that movie. Skippy, yeah, Mutt or something. Skippy, Mutt, Mutt. That's it. Or like Mud Skipper. Or like you know Jeremy Renner is going to take over for for Tom Cruise or like Jeremy Renner is going to take over for uh Jason Bourne or like Jeremy Renner there's probably a third one. Uh, <laughs> but uh but I feel like, like Jeremy Renner was like their second choice for uh his Marvel role as well. You just think like it has all of the hallmarks of like uh you know like again uh Terry Gilliam-esque uh, attempts to make this that keep crashing and burning uh, a recast star that you know in in interviews now George Miller has always said that he never intended to have Mel Gibson in it at the time it kind of feels like Mel Gibson is not interested in being in it so I'm gonna just pull someone else out of there you have Heath Ledger's name thrown in there who around the same time like before the Joker and you're like this like again I also thought Heath Ledger I was skeptical with him being the Joker, I was also very skeptical of him being Mad Max um, for the same reason, because I hadn't seen The Dark Knight yet. Um, so you just, like, have all these things that just spell fucking disaster, right? Like, nothing in here feels good. And then, yeah, you see that, like, there is, I don't mean to sound hyper uh, hyperbolic or out of the gate, but, like, this movie did every fucking thing wrong when it comes to, like, Long delayed sequel, recast, all these uh, sacrifices to meet budgets, all these canceled productions. And like normally what you do get out of that is either some terrible sequel or you get like, you know, to use the actual example I was using, like I don't know who actually ever saw that uh, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote movie that Terry Gilliam put out last year. I did. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, this is fine. Like the the myth of him trying to make it for so long was way more interesting than the movie ended up being. Uh, and then you have this, which does feel singular, uh, not just in the form of like how good of an action movie and how exciting all that stuff is, but just in like the how did this end up existing the way that it did? It had all of the hallmarks of a fucking disaster. And let's not let's not pretend that like. <clears throat> um, Everybody behind the camera um, and everybody on set knew that this was going to be a runaway success and had complete confidence in it. Uh, Charlize Theron and uh, Tom Hardy, at a minimum, both agreed uh, on set that, like, uh, uh, later in retrospect, that they were like, oh, yeah, every day we were on set and we had no idea what George Miller was doing. Like, yeah. no, no, we, we were miserable. We were in this desert that uh, Charlie's Throne described as an ashtray. Um, <laughs> and she's and, from uh, there, for crying out loud. Yeah, she's from South Africa, which is a neighbor to Namibia. Right. Um, and uh, so she, she, she knows the terrain, more or less. Uh, and she, uh, 
she said that it was like miserable. Tom Hardy apparently fought with George Miller and Charlie Theron on set. Like the cast and crew was there for a really long time. Warner Brothers sent in a fucking producer to um, a producer or two to come check on them because they were going under budget or over budget and over time. And like nobody seemed to know what this thing was. And then by the time that the the uh, it was time to edit the movie. Um, the time that it was, it was time to edit the movie. Let me get the, let me get the number right. So the, uh, George Miller delivered to his wife, Margaret Sixel, 470 hours of raw footage to edit. <laughs> it claim, I, I haven't seen the substantiated anywhere. The second part is substantiated anywhere, but it says that watching it took her three months. <laughs> like, and I can see that. Yeah, I 100% believe that. Just the amount of angles and shots and whatnot. He was like, I, do, I need coverage. Also, coverage of the coverage. Also, <laughs> I'm going to shoot a separate movie on the side. Also, um, also yeah, have, have a series on what sandwich I'm eating today. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, also, I recorded every episode of uh, General Hospital. <laughs> <laughs> it, helped ke- it helped keep George Miller, a, a medical doctor, fresh uh, to watch General Hospital. Yeah, set. so it yeah, and on top of that, be, between all that, like, yeah, George Miller's two previous, two only, I think, two movies this century were hits, and those two movies were Happy Feet and Happy Feet Two. Like, not exactly. But that's not much of a reel for this. <laughs> no, like the last time he has done a movie like this is thirty years earlier, Mad Max, like uh, Beyond Thunderdome, which is as we talked about last week incorrectly referred to as the bad man max movie but like you know definitely is not like nothing this is not representative of the movies he had been making for the last 30 years which as we mentioned are both few and far between and also very much not like high octane action movies yeah, and his next movie, it sounds like it's going to be um, some sort of epic romantic drama kind of thing, but n- nothing like this. So this this continues the thread that George Miller is uh, incapturable as a sort of essence. You can't you can't. Um, it's hard to to capture him as a sort of um, stereotype the way uh, dumb people on Twitter have been doing for Martin Scorsese. Yeah, although, in fairness, George Miller also said all Marvel movies are bad. <laughs> but he said it with an Australian accent. <laughs> he may have said all mob movies are bad. It's it's really thick. <laughs> <laughs> but let's let's stop, let's pause there real quickly. So this movie is a soft reboot. Uh, it sort of toes the line between a remake and a continuation. George Miller yeah. has said sort of conflicting things. It doesn't ultimately fucking matter, but what does matter it's it's the way i view it as the legend of zelda thing like trying to connect a canon through this is at your own folly like but like they are like such discrete stories like the mad max from this movie clearly has dealt with them with the things that mad max has dealt with in other movies we see flashes of the other movies like i i don't think it's like i don't think you need to believe in some weird illuminati conspiracy theory or even a grand like uh, you know, Warner Brothers is going to put pick, put out a book connecting all the Mad Max movies. It's like, yeah, sometime after the events of Thunderdome, 
he then drove his car and this happened to him. Like, yeah. Yeah, but like, it's it, it, it just the way the movie feels and the way the world building happens and the way the characters dress and the way his backstory is sort of laid out visually. Like, it doesn't it doesn't connect on a literal level. It's connecting with you on a mythological, uh, emotional level. And instead of rebooting Mad Max and telling you that story from the beginning, he's like, he did lose his family. He possibly had a daughter instead of a son, which is like a canonical difference. That's what I'm saying. Like trying to get in the mud on this is. I, know, like, I, I always assume that was someone from Beyond Thunderdome, but anyways, because yeah. doesn't he, be, he becomes like a dad to people? Uh, if, if I may, my head canon about whoever that little girl is that he keeps visualizing, I think it's a entirely different group that he encountered after Beyond Thunderdome. Sure. Like, yeah. it, it doesn't matter. Like, it honestly doesn't matter. It doesn't like, matter, no. I don't think there's holes here, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, nothing... The One of the best parts of this movie is that it literally explains nothing to you. It doesn't explain the world. doesn't explain who anyone is, really. It's just, like, you get it from characters talking to each other. There is not, like, one moment of, like, unnecessary exposition where someone goes, Okay, so here's why these ladies are so upset. Like, yeah. you just piece yeah. it all together. So... Like I don't know how you can have plot holes in a in a movie that exists that way. Yeah. Right. So what I what I what I think here is that it's like a Legend of Zelda thing. It's a Sherlock Holmes thing. It's a James Bond thing. Yeah. It's all. And the only reason that we're we're even talking about this right now is because, um, is because it landed in 2015, which was as the MCU had not just gained hold of cinema, but was like ramping further and further up. Right. So. So yeah. at that point, people were asking questions. Really hitting on its what, what mythology is this connected to? And there's a there's a comic book that I haven't read that apparently fills in more of the lore and canon. And guess what? I'm never gonna fucking read the comic book yeah. because I've I have no. I mean, it might be great. I don't know. I have no fucking interest in making this singular wonderful object become like another MCU or like another like I have no interest in that. If I if I may, if I may, uh, I di- I dipped into the uh, the the three previous movies before watching this again for like the tenth time, and uh, besides Mad Max, it's interesting that the three uh, movies after that. They all end essentially kind of the same way with mm-hmm, these yeah. people going off and then Max is left alone to go off into the desert yet again. And I'm like, that's how Max ends, too. Like, he drives off on his motorcycle or his car. I, you know, I, 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 I did not get to the end of Mad Max, so I, I completely forgotten. I was about to ask, yeah. how does that end? Yeah. Yeah. He it's him. It's it's it, the way that I view the sort of uh, running. uh the running of the series, the running central theme of the series is that two, three, and four are about his, um, his, his like addiction, his like, his, his, his drive, his fateful, uh, connection to the road. And yeah. Mad Max fu- functions as like, uh, him becoming so attached, him losing everything but the road. Right. So, like, the rest of them all, and you're right, the rest of them all are the same. It seems like Max would have a great time. Uh, in the Citadel at the end of Fury Road, it seems like Max would yeah. be pretty happy at the end of uh, Beyond Thunderdome <laughs> or the Road Warrior with either of those communities. Um, but uh, yeah, it, the, you're you're exactly right, Joseph. Like to not to intercut your point, but he's the at the end of the movie. There's nothing but the road. Here's how I see it: <clears throat> the beginning of the first movie, not mad. The beginning of all subsequent movies, already mad. 
No, that's absolutely mm-hmm. correct. And I think the ending of those uh, of the other three movies is all it's it is almost you know, going back to the Clint Eastwood man with no name, yeah, him going good, off into the uh, into the desert to you know for another adventure. So the, you don't yeah, have you're, to, you're so right. You don't yeah. have to have this continuous history. It's just these are particular stories within his legend. Yeah, the only thing I would say there is that like High Plains Drifter is not connected to Pale Rider or uh, Outlaw Josie Wales because uh, Pale Rider and Outlaw Josie Wales seem like decent dudes. Uh, Man with No Name seems like a decent dude. The guy in High Plains Drifter is a real piece of shit. He's a piece of shit. He's in his own separate little timeline. Well, he, uh, he's a ghost ve- He's a ghost same. vengeance guy, right? Like, that's kind of a <laughs> High Plains yeah, Drifter guy. Yeah, he sucks. Yeah. Well, um, I do love the theory that the uh, guy in uh, Pale Rider, sorry for the divergence here, uh, the guy in Pale Rider is literally a ghost. Yeah, I mean that's that's a pretty it's a pretty good way to read that movie, and it pretty makes sure it more mystical shame. and mythological. And and I think the um I think that that's that actually connects back to Mad Max, the idea that not that he's a ghost, but that uh, there's these sort of mythological constructs, and like the basic the basics of the story are always the same if, if the details somewhat differ. Yes. Yeah. Um. And oh shit, I just had it. And I, I think I mean, that's the same with the Ghostbusters reboot that the, uh, uh, pushed out of ac- academia, had to start their own business, start catching ghosts in New York. And uh, they form a bond that is only only made stronger by their intense differences. Yes, much like Mad Max and all the people that he meets. <laughs> Essentially, <laughs> I mean, that is true for Fury Road, right? Like, uh, here's what I think. No, no, think, no, Peter, you are 100% correct if we're talking uh, yeah. uh, p- pushed out of their uh, society and have to forge together. Because I want to talk uh, at some point in this, I want to talk about the actresses who play the uh, uh, the, the brides. Sure. Yeah. We'll the... get there. Um, what I want to see, guys, though, is a prequel movie to all of this where we find out his name, his Christian name wasn't Max, but oh, actually he was like... When he was younger, uh, he didn't have a name. And someone said, how do you like to do things? And he said, to the max. And they wrote down on his military uh, his military <sighs> deployment card, max. And hopefully we'll get the answers for a lot of things. Why does he like leather? What's with his sunglasses? Like, ideally, we will get a movie that just, just un-mythologic, un Unmythologicalizes. Hey, yeah, yeah. Peter, Peter, can can I talk to you over here for a second? Yeah, 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 yeah for, sure, for sure. It should just be Seriously. called Max. Can we, can we, can we hang up on him for like fifteen minutes just to punish him for the for that joke? <laughs> <laughs> we sure can, Joseph, and I'm really glad he can't hear us right now as we sidebar. Uh look. In he most most cases, I would us. I would appreciate this collaboration against me and and, and note that it's, it's deserved. <laughs> But not with the Firefox guy, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) You want a three-year ban? (laughs) Doled him out. Well, doled one out, but we haven't. No one would dare to bring it on the show again. Yeah. Um, So I have to say, talking about Ghostbusters uh, brings up a good uh, a good discussion before we get to the main episode. Can you think of another series? That was able to come back, let's say, 15 plus years later and either soft reboot or continue with the same cast. 
because uh, this movie does use uh was it hugh Keen's yeah a couple australian friends but like in different roles hugh keys burn yeah yeah but it's largely all all new folks um hugh keys burn is the villain uh morton joe uh unlike a, mor- a mortal joe uh guest of the show um but he it's largely new it's largely just a new cast new story feels very different than the previous movies in certain key ways can you think of another series that is either reboot soft rebooted or remade and you've been like yeah this successfully i'm not even saying better just this successfully adapts the ideas from the past and this is satisfying to me uh it feels worthwhile as a venture to to uh you know challenge what i previously considered the movie like can you think of that much stuff because i feel like man yeah i mean like the, the the rule that i mean it's not quite the 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 thing that breaks the rule that proves the rule or whatever the, the expression is but like it is the tantamount of evidence of like you know sometimes you do have to come back to the old well so i actually think there's more than people give credit for right like i like excluding like say super superhero movies only because like yeah i like the original batman and then they made more batmans and like that's just kind of a reboot but more of just like an adaptation of the same source material in some yeah ways. i feel like i don't count batman or yeah like this sort of long-running franchise that like yeah so know, i mean yeah but i actually think there's a lot like the 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 first star trek movie reboot is really good the new planet of the apes movies are really good planet like, of the apes is what i'll give you because that was a film series they came back they m- rebooted dash intertwined i'll give you planet of the apes for sure yeah i think that's I mean, probably the best one because it is like 35 years later for god it might be 45 years later jesus I mean, we talked about Prometheus and Alien Covenant in the green room. Like, I think those are two movies that I would that I like. They're not as good as Alien or Aliens, but like a reboot coming back, extremely worthwhile, ex- extremely good in their own right. Like, I mean, they keep I, bringing back Terminator, and none of them touch one or two. No, right? I like, did like the new the one. Okay I like I like Dark Fate actually quite. Oh, uh, Dark Fate's quite good, I think. Yeah. Um. So I, I do think I do think there's more than Halloween. So, yeah, Halloween. I would say that's a really good example. Um, depending on how it's you more think of James horror, Bond, I, think. I mean, depending on how you think of James Bond movies, I would say the Daniel Craig series is the by far the best of any of the people who played John, uh, James Bond. And I say that as someone who likes all James Bond movies, even Die Another Day. But like that's, Casino that, Royale, that is definitely is like, counts as that definitely counts as a very good soft reboot with Casino Royale. Yeah, like Casino Royale is the best fucking Bond movie in my opinion. And like, and then like the rest of them are. Uh, good to great that he's been in. So, I mean, I do think there's a lot. I, I, you're right though, Peter. Like most of these don't don't work out as well as as this. Let alone be the best one. I just I think what ends up happening is that when they're good, what it usually means is, and I'll even use like Force Awakens, Last Jedi, or the new Star Trek, or the 2009 Star Trek, or James Bond, right? Like, for the most part, what you end up getting in those, the reboots that are successful, is you get people who were raised on the thing they love, who are extremely talented, get, or the Planet of the Apes movie, have a take on the material, and have a chance to go and make their incarnation of it. And when it sucks, it's usually really sucks and when it's good it's these examples we've talked about i think what's much more rare is like that person who was the creator who's like 
still talking about, I'm going to make another one of these movies long past what you think is both the expiration date on the concept, maybe the director's getting older and doesn't quite have the chops, and obviously none of the cast members can really come back. I think the only two examples of that are Prometheus and Mad Max Fury Road, because usually when these creators hold on to an idea too long, it it's already kind of burnt out, and like it does need to get passed on to... Uh, uh, you know, to someone else to like revitalize it in a way that is interesting as opposed to like just doing the same shit over and over with the same people. Yeah. And Prometheus would be a highly, uh, a highly controversial pick. Like Mad Max Fury Road is probably one of the few ones that people would be like, yeah, de- yeah, definitely. Uh, Both have I mean, there running. And like, there's even movies like Force Awakens who, if, if I watched Force Awakens in a vacuum, it would be like, you know, one of my favorite things I've ever watched, but uh, it, it is a beat for beat, more or less like remake of uh, New Hope in, in a lot of senses. Or, yeah. Uh, the original Star Wars, if, if you're uh, a, a bit of a titled uh, dramaticist. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but then you do have like The Last Jedi, which is also like probably the best Star Wars movie. Like, yeah. And if, when you get into franchises, it gets yeah. stickier and I have to add a lot of qualifiers for it. But like you're, you're what, what our discussion started a while ago, and I think we can kind of um, bring this into the episode. Yeah. Um, is that um the the concept of this movie existing and somehow not just keeping up with the originals but uh being its own its own beautiful elaboration of what the originals are uh and, and in many ways superior to the originals is like uh, unheard of like yeah. i like the new ghostbusters but the new ghostbusters didn't like in some ways make me think like well i'm going to go watch a ghostbusters movie well i'm going to watch the new one like that didn't happen. I liked the movie, but yeah. it didn't like it, it, it didn't like become Prometheus like is great, but it's not Alien, right? Prometheus is great, but if I'm gonna scratch the Alien itch, I'm going back to Alien. And if I want like something more actiony, I'm probably gonna Aliens. And then as I continue the series, maybe it comes in the running. Maybe it starts to get competitive. But like you know, <laughs> Mad Max Fury Road only had the uh, all all it had to do to like keep up is like be better than the original Mad Max. And instead, it was like, I'm going to make gonna one of the one best of the movies culture. of all time. How about yeah, that? Yeah, <laughs> a movie that like... No qualifiers. I, feel, I, I don't feel self-conscious at all saying should have won the best picture in oh. 2016. What won that year? What won in 2015? Probably something dumb. Uh, spot, it was up against Spotlight. Oh, Spotlight. Spotlight was... The Oscars are the 2015 movies. Yeah, 2016 was Moonlight, which is good. Uh-huh. And I love Spotlight. I love Spotlight. Movie. I love Moonlight. But in a, in a it, it, Spotlight didn't like make me rethink my entire relationship with much. Like at that point, we had already we already knew the Catholic Church was bad. <laughs> we already knew Mark Ruffalo was a good actor, and it's it's just kind of like a really amazing sober portrait of uh, of a dramatic situation. Fury Road was like, hey. Uh, even if you don't like action movies, you're going to like this thing. You're like, what? You're like, this is just going to rewrite how you look at movies yeah. for a little bit. And you're going to have to deal with the fact that most action movies are going to seem either kind of hollow or kind of unexciting for yeah. for a while. Yeah. No, 100% agreed. And it's good that we got some discussion out uh, on the generalities of the movie and how exciting this was when it came out first. Because if any 
episode threatens to devolve into us just turning into the Chris Farley show as we talk about the movie and just going, wasn't this awesome? So cool. This is cool. (laughs) I think it's probably this one. So uh, with that, do you guys want to talk more about Mad Max Fury Road? Hell yeah. Uh, hey, Aaron. Hey, what's up? Hey. I'm glad to be um, back. Not making Joseph uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> We're laughing Aaron, pretty hard, everyone, but you know what? You're never going to hear it. Tag <laughs> lines. Yeah, I'd love to give you some alternate uh, tag lines. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road, which is angrier? The Max of the Road. <laughs> <laughs> Because the road uh, is Mamas don't let your babies grow up to be warlords. You, can, you gotta stop. Use that like once a month. <laughs> I, this is only the second time I've used it, and I didn't use it for the title this time. I'm demoting it to just an alternate tagline. Everyone's least favorite part of the show, especially the hosts. Mamas don't let your babies grow up to be perfect in every way. Because <laughs> uh, they, don't, they don't grow up. I haven't seen this movie in a couple years. That was a fun part to remember. Oh, yeah. There's that one super uncomfortable scene with the dead baby. Forgot about that. If, uh, if, if I may, uh, an alternate tagline as the guest. Yeah, we usually don't let the guest go, but in this, we're not going to make an exception. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead, Joseph. Mad Max 4, they're really milking this franchise. Because there's, mother, because there's mother's milk. You get it. Yeah, I get yeah. it. Okay. But one of my favorite little throwaway things is when he, like, grabs the random canister on the side of the, the rig and is like, what the fuck is this? They're like, mother's milk. And just the look, just the look that he gives where he's like, okay. <laughs> like, um, I'm not going to ask any more questions. his face with it. Yeah. So, um, wait, let me clarify something real quick. Before we get into this. Um, Mother's milk is, is from. Breath. So there's the War Boys, there's the Gastown uh, Boys, Bullet there's Farmers, the Bullet Farm Boys. So there's three gangs and sort of a, a triumvirate. They're all kind of working together. They seem to have a sort of economy, like a sort of um, mass unit economy. Like this town makes this. Yeah. So, real quickly. Is a Morton Joe just in charge because he has all the war, or is he supplying Mother's Milk? No, I think uh, I don't think he's supplying Mother's Milk. Maybe he is. I mean, it makes sense. Bullets, yeah, gas, and sustenance. Yeah, I think it's that. But I also like he also I think is supplying babies. I think he's also supplying water. Yeah, but I think he's also like it's I agree true. he's doing sustenance. He has like the plants potentially some food, but I think he's also supplying like baby. There is something where I think like the harem that he's keeping is also being used by the leaders of uh the bullet farm and uh Gastown. Possibly. Though when though they seem really they don't seem that excited to get the women back for themselves. They seem excited to get it back for a Morton if at all. So the one guy, the bullet farmer Bullet Farmer Bill, yeah. whoever the lead lead bullet farmer is, he's like, 
all this for a family squabble? Like, it doesn't seem like he the, the women matter all that much to him. It's just that he... Well, I, I mean, I'm but he's, su- he's super old. He probably had his time. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's not he's not making any more kin. Um, I don't think there's... There's, like, Bullet Town, there's Gastown. I don't think there's Viagraville. <laughs> Viagraville? Jesus. Yeah. That, that'd be the... Just to be clear, Joseph, that would be the town that supplies Viagra. <laughs> First no, off, it's like Viagra. Down. I just gotta say, I said, I said Viagra. Viagra. Oh, Jesus, that's my favorite. Same uh, tone Jimmy, as I'm walking here. My favorite Jimmy Viagra. Buffett song. Wasting away again in Viagra. Well, it's boner o'clock somewhere. <laughs> Die historic on the horny road. <laughs> Ride oh, eternally hard. Oh, what a day! <laughs> what a penisy day. <laughs> if, if if you've been on the Fury Road for four hours, please call a physician. These is me testes, Harry and Barry. <laughs> uh, Peter, uh, why don't you give us a recap of this movie, which you can make a five-second recap and just go. They leave and they come back. <laughs> yeah, they leave and they forget something at home, so they gotta come back. Um, so, uh, at the beginning of the movie, we're introduced to Max. He's, he's really mad. He's mad me. all the time. It's Max. Who is, uh, as you've been paying attention all month to these episodes, Max is a um, a man who lives for the road, he lives for the wastes, and he lost uh, all of his loved ones. It's just him and survival, as he establishes in the opening narration, and then you won't hear a whole lot of his voice for the rest of the movie. Um, and uh, Max gets captured by the War Boys, which is the the lead band, I want to say, like the headband of like a triumvirate of uh, violent uh, you know, road parties, these, uh, these like road gangs that have significantly standardized and, uh, sort of codified their own personal design and style in a warriors-esque fashion, uh, in a way that like the gangs from the previous movies didn't. Games from the previous movies allowed more, you know, customization, just really for you to feel you. For the war boys, not so much. Bald head, chalk over yourself, um, very suicidal. That's kind of the deal. Um, so the the war boys are uh, running this town called Citadel, um, headed up by this guy, Amorten Joe. And Amorten Joe is a uh, big masked villain. Uh, he has a harem of women. He has a big war party headed by the war reg, which is headed up by... Uh, Imperator Furiosa. Like, all the names in this movie are pretty badass. Um, and uh, Imperator Furiosa is going out on what is presumed to be a uh, bullet and gas run. And she uh, she heads out on the war rig with her party. Uh, at the same time, Max is trying to escape from the war boys, but is, uh, is recaptured and then branded a blood bag. <clears throat> um, what we what we find out about Furiosa through is that she's trying to escape uh, with the harem in her war rig and needs to shake all the war boys that are following her. Uh, then, when uh, the Citadel and and uh, and Joe catch wind of it, uh, they send out a war party of war boys after uh, after the war rig. Um, and part of that war rig is Nux, who's this. Uh, uh, scrappy, t- 
terminally ill war boy who needs Max's blood to fuel himself. Um, so Nux and uh, by design Max are in pursuit of the war rig. The war rig drives into a big cloud, um, and in the chaos of the cloud, uh, Max ends up uh, f- mixing it in with the uh, the party, the the harem of women and uh, um, uh, Imperator Furiosa, and joins their their gang. And as the movie goes on. Uh, more at first just a matter of survival because the you know the war boys are bearing down uh, but as the movie goes on he becomes more loyal to them more sacrificial more willing to take risks for them that he wasn't before at the same time Nux is trying to he hops on the war rig and hides and he tries to kill um, he tries to kill uh, Furiosa and tries to stop it but as the movie goes on he also becomes more and more disillusioned with uh with a Morton Joe. And so he uh, leaves that party, joins the, the war rig party who welcomes him back in because of the, um, the charity and the forgiveness of uh, one of one or two of the members of the, of the harem. Uh, so the chase is on war rig with their sort of conglomerated party up against uh, the everyone, the, uh, everyone, uh, the three, three bands. So there's the, War boys, uh, the gas town boys, which control gas, the gasoline, uh, and the bullet farmers who control uh, bullets. Um, and Viagraville. And Viagra. They well, they took over Viagra Town. It's Ville. Now they're just bullet farming, but they're hard the whole time. Um, just so when you're like thinking, a, like a bullet. Yes, 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 um, yes. Um, so the chase is on. Uh, they make it, they're, they're in pursuit of this, this green place and the many mothers, um, and through trials and tribulations, they make it there, so to speak. Um, and they meet up with the many mothers and they basically reveal that, oh, that shitty place you just passed through. That was the green place. It's, it's gone. Um, Furios, this is Furiosa's goal the entire time is to meet up with this group of people. And Cause that's of, where she came from. So she she's like, from she's like remembering stuff like 30 years yeah and so she's she she remembers this idealized utopia that is now gone um it does not exist and in a sense if she was stolen from there it never existed right so uh they all are about to go head off in the desert um and just you know take their risks on the wasteland but max the eternal wanderer um says like that's not right for you go and take back the citadel take back your home he says it that articulately too he's like hey that is not right for you. Here's what I would propose. Uh, he's very articulate. He really gives a good Kevin Costner speech. <laughs> he's like, it feels like redemption. Or, yeah. Or his version where he just like points at a map and goes, yeah. We go, we go, we go here. This is your draft day. <laughs> it's my favorite Kevin Costner speech. <laughs> <laughs> Today we dance with raccoons. Tomorrow we dance with wolves. <laughs> My dad called me Jim, but you can call me Mr. Brooks. <laughs> Clark, I don't like you that much, so I'm going to go in this tornado. <laughs> you may do this for the love of hot dogs, but I do it for the love of the game. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the downside is that 
uh, you end up murdering people and go to prison. But have I told you about the upside of anger? Oh, <laughs> no, no, just no. Upside anger is a good movie. Tom Hardy grunts and he's like, that yeah, feels like redemption over there. We should go there. So, um, can we just pause? Like, what's it like to hang out with that guy? Like, <laughs> what is what is he like? Because he seems to exclusively pick movies where he's like, "Can I talk like a weirdo?" Like, no one's ever talked before. And hey, like, Tom, what do you want for dinner? Like Thai food? You want Mexican? Mm. You're just pointing at the jar of peanut butter. Do you want to put your dick in the peanut butter again? Mm. It's, either, it's either Feral grunting or you've got to give me more options. <laughs> extra sriracha next time. I looked up like is it, like is he married? Does he have kids? Which he does because I think like if I found out Tom Hardy lived in a cave and occasionally came out to shoot movies, I'd be like, yeah, that all checks out. Uh he just like he he feels like oh if I can talk like he's like the good Johnny Depp like if I can be just a complete freak on screen put it in there like you let me say things the way I want in annotations that no one has ever said before I'm in doesn't matter the movie doesn't matter the salary let me talk weird yeah I mean it's 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 deeply charming right like is that. Tom Hardy comes into a movie and everyone's excited to see him. And then he's like, I don't really care if you like me in this movie or not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's something uh, that makes me like him so much more. Like, have you ever seen, uh, you ever seen, uh, Peaky Blinders? No, I have seen Locke, though, which is just him talking in a car for 90 minutes. Where he's yeah. like, where he's like, I want you to do one thing for me. Get the phone. Go to the window. <laughs> so you've determined you're not having an abortion. Yeah, just 90 minutes of that. It's really fucking good. It's amazing. Just- it's amazing. Uh, Joseph, you would also really like Peaky Blinders because it's about like a 1920s uh, Irish gang. Um, and it rules. Uh, it's also like a BBC, a partial BBC production, so it's short seasons. But um, anyways, so uh, Peaky Blinders, Tom Hardy plays this, like, I think he's like a, like a Jewish mobster. And he has this, like, amazing drawl where he's just like, he's just like, uh, we're gonna get the liquor, and then you're gonna have the liquor, and then we're gonna have a bagel together, and it's <laughs> gonna be a really good bagel. Like, it's so... Good, but also it looks like he read the script and he was like, punctuation, not for me. Articles, probably also not for me. We're going to just roll all these words into each other. I feel like he's like going to be like a Christian Bale where one day he's just like, I forgot how I talked. I guess it's like this now. I don't know. <laughs> it is weird when you see Christian Bale in an interview and he's just talking in like a standard Midwest accent. And you're he's like, oh, why? like he, he wasn't doing a, a voice for Newsies, that's his voice. The Newsies voice is the Christian Bale voice. I mean, he is Welsh. So that is essentially his voice, but his voice has evolved just because he's worked so much in both the US and Britain that I'm not sure what the hell his voice actually is anymore. I mean, like, I do a dumb New York accent for 90 seconds on this show and I forget what I talk like. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's why method actors are uh, inseparable, is that, like, well, yeah, I mean, you talked in a 
dumb Philly accent for six months. Yeah, it's going to fuck with the way you talk, dude. I don't know what you wanted out of this. Yeah, like, Willem Dafoe, you researched, like, how they talked in old-timey lighthouses. Like, you're not coming back. No Green Goblin for you. Unless, again, he's an old-time mariner. Uh, all right, yeah, so we were we were at uh, Tom Hardy points to the map and says, let's go home. Go to your home. Uh, yeah, he's like, let's go home. So his his plan is essentially uh, they're the last place they expect us to go because they're on this this wide open desert wasteland. The last place they expect us to go is to fucking double back past them and uh, cut through this narrow canyon and then f- hopefully find a way to close the canyon so they're all stuck over there. So at a minimum, you don't have to necessarily kill every last guy that's chasing you, but at a minimum, we can uh, slow them out and then get to the Citadel, take it while it's empty because all the war boys are gone, and then um, you know, maybe defend it from there or whatever. So um, what ends up happening is they uh, they go through the narrow gap. They start to they start to take apart more and more of the enemy forces. The many mothers uh, start to get picked off. Um, Furiosa gets mortally wounded. Um, and then the uh, in that same act, she um, sorry, she gets mortally wounded. And then shortly after, she manages to murder uh and Morton Joe, and she's uh, she's uh, bleeding out. She's uh, her she has a pierced lung, I believe, that's filling with fluid or whatever. And uh, after they've they've made it through the cannon, Nux makes a sacrifice to save all their lives, uh, and they escape. Max performs surgery on uh, on uh, Furiosa and gives her some of his blood. So he was originally a blood bag uh, of not of his own will, and he becomes um, a blood bag, like sort of simplifying the like, uh, he was a victim out on the road uh, that to be picked at and, you know, to pick at other victims. And then now he's willingly doing an act of sacrifice to help save uh, someone he considers a friend. They go back to Citadel, uh, since there's no real soldiers there, they easily take it back. They present the body, the corpse of a Morton Joe. Uh, the crowd cheers. This crowd that's been anxiously awaiting water, and uh, they they uh, they essentially call this new place home um, with the help of uh, with the help of the many mothers and uh, the the brides of a Morton Joe that now can uh, live in peace here at least for a time. And then uh, Max, doing what Max does, goes off on the road. This just dawned on me. It's a movie that's one amazing thing is how simple it is, but yeah. there's so much dramatic incident that matters. Like, there's not a scene that doesn't matter. Doing a synopsis on this is tough. <laughs> like, yeah. every scene matters. Yeah, well, I mean, every- what, what would you leave out? If you take out anything about Nux, I would be like, well, this is a stupid character. Please remove him. If you take out anything with Max and Furiosa together, I'd be like, I don't I don't get why Max cares about her. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. You get to take out any scene where the, 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 the sisters are bonding. The Sorry, the harem is bonding. Um, all of a sudden you're like, wait, I don't know why they chose to save Nux. I don't know why they're behaving in this manner. I don't know why. I don't understand the group dynamics because that's another great thing that George Miller did. He didn't make the um, the the harem a sort of like monoculture 
Uh, he may, they have, they have diverse opinions and they argue and they help each yep. other and they yell at each other. Like there's, there's, there's character dynamics that are laced through every scene and every character has their own individual arc. And I know that sounds very simple, but like movies don't do this. <laughs> yeah. And right. if you took out the doof warrior, I'll walk backwards into hell to find you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do. Let's start at a very simple thing. Um, one of the exciting parts about the trailer that we talked about is that much like old-timey war parties, they have music to keep everyone super psyched. And in this case, it's uh, who we – it's someone who we became – so long, let me say it again. It's someone who we lovingly learned was named the Doof Warrior who just sits on a fucking pile of speakers and drums and rocks out on his guitar and – I have heard some people say they don't like this part of the movie. Some of those people that said that are my wife who really liked this movie, but for some reason didn't like that. And let me tell you, uh, that part is awesome. He's the best. And I'm not surprised he became a meme because it it rules all the way around. My wife saw this movie in theaters. She really loved it. At the end of it, she goes, uh, she, she has not seen any of the other ones. She goes, um, uh, is that like a sequel to something? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome i love that one of the things i love about the doof warrior is that he doesn't sit he is basically suspended on these rubber band things and bounces back and forth while he's playing and that is the, the this weird dynamic thing as the basically musical accompaniment for a war party that really works in this movie it also, I love when they, like, get stuck in the swamp, he changes the rhythm to, like, he, he dun, essentially is, like, playing dun, the film score, dun, where it's like, dun, dun, yep. we're, we're playing waiting music now, because we're not in the in the thick of it. It's so good. Yeah, um, and well, it's also, the the warrior is, uh, is a Australian musician called Iota, and, like, famous for shredding. Um, so, yeah, awesome. He's on these bungee cord things. He's blind, the, the the character is blind. Yeah. So it makes sense that, you know, he's attached to the top of a truck standing vertical as these trucks are going over, you know, uh, 75, 100 miles an hour. Uh, who knows how many kilometers? I mean, I, I can't do the math. Um, and he... He's like blind, so he's just like he's really just feeling the moment. Whenever anyone is just like, "Well, the car, the car's not moving anymore," so I guess I'm just dun dun, dun. And it's and it's a whole it's a whole rig too. So like, there's the speakers on the front. I forgot that in the back there's drums. Drums, yeah. I forgot that entirely. Co- completely gratuitous practical effect of the flamethrower. I mean, it's yeah, awesome. Yeah. He said the whammy bar set off flame. Right. And, like, he wasn't necessarily hooked to the whammy bar for every single shot, but, like, he did have control in scenes where he's actually, like, fucking gnashing and playing. He had control over a flamethrower. <laughs> How awesome is that? Like, to just throw... And, and the thing that's amazing about this movie, about the, the, the special, the practical effects, is that George Miller talks... All the time about how he spent extra time to make sure everybody was safe and like all that. And like, I don't think anybody was asking that question until he started saying it. Like, you, I don't think people were saying like, oh, I hope people are safe because a lot of people don't realize that like, I don't know how you gauge these percentages, but you know, 70 to 90% of this movie is practical effects. And I don't think people even realize that fact, let alone connect it that there were stunt people doing these stunts, the, 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 um, 
the bouncy boys, the the pole vaulter guys, those are all dudes on. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Those guys are all dudes on uh, on fucking uh, on actual pole vaults. And like Tom Hardy is scared of heights. And then George Miller wrote into the script that Tom Hardy was going to do one of these pole vaulting stunts. <laughs> You're going to keep talking like that? Oh, yeah. I know how to get you get back at you. Uh, speaking of the way that Tom Hardy talks again, really quickly, one of the things that really struck me this time because I just watched the other Mad Max movies is, you know, originally when I saw this, like I'm like, yeah, it's not Mel Gibson, uh, which was fine because Mel Gibson is terrible and Tom Hardy rules. But like, I wasn't like thinking that that Tom Hardy was like playing a facsimile or like doing a Mel Gibson impression or anything like that. And I don't think he's doing a Mel Gibson impression, but I was really amazed at actually like how much, especially in the first third of this movie, where he's like frustrating, grunting, and talking under his breath. Um, while he's like chained up to the car as a blood bag, like it did very much remind me of Mel Gibson's performance in these movies. Like, it, which is the first time that's ever happened. I think it's because it's the first time I've ever watched it so close back to back. I And part of that, I think, is just because, like, my my mental, like, acting of Mel Gibson is probably less from the Mad Max movies and more from um, the Lethal Weapon movies and, like, the Mel Gibson-type character he started playing in everything. Uh, yeah. he just, yes. He really gave different performances in, like, in the Mad Max movies and, like, pre-becoming, like, quote-unquote Mel Gibson. Um so I was actually amazed at like how much Tom Hardy's performance lines up well to like Mad Max's characterization in these other movies. Yeah, like you were saying earlier, I, I completely forgotten that uh, Gibson his last performance of, as Mad Max is two years before uh, Lethal Weapon. Yeah, I'm like, oh damn, because uh, looking back at the first three <laughs> movies, he speaks so little overall. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and, and the way the, the this movie is um there's a black and chrome edition which I believe removes the dialogue. I haven't seen No, it it, do, it doesn't remove the dialogue. They he had wanted to do a dialogue less version with uh but the black and chrome version just does the black and white uh, oh. thing, which is very good. Less, I, it's it, it's, it's le- still it's good. less interesting to me though. It's still it's still fun to watch. Yeah. If you're like I, looking I prefer, for like, like cut the dialogue back to yeah. what you absolute necessary and then do a few title cards if you need to, or, uh, you know, di- dialogue cards if yeah. you need to. But anyways, sure. uh, uh, you're, you're totally right that he, um, it, that, it, that it feels like a fluid continuation because, uh, the, this movie, uh, is a act of visual cinema that, c- yeah, you could get away with just chopping it down and making it, um, Chopping it down and making it a silent movie for yeah. vast, vast stretches of it. Like, yeah. I'm going to say 95% of the movie could be without dialogue and you wouldn't miss a thing. Like, sure, the lore bits are fun, but, like, you see a bunch of guys roll up wearing bullet vests. I think you know that they're, like, the bullet boys or the bullet guys or whatever. <laughs> Just because you don't get the term bullet farmers doesn't mean you're, you're losing out <laughs> on something. And, and the... the, the, the Using the physicality of performers is such an important part of telling the story because uh, Tom Hardy barely speaks and he uses a lot of like gesticulations and grunts and sort of not cartoonish, but cartoonish sort of like facial movements sometimes to like 
the, the, there's a reason that this movie created a lot of gifts and there's a moment when uh, a character is uh, one of the one of the many mothers is suspended in a trap and he goes that's bait he points up at her and you both know exactly yeah. what I'm talking about yes yeah. because he does this sort of cute he does this sort of cutesy like Tom Hardy thing where like he like it almost looks like he's like an old man or something like he's he's wait waggling his hand a little harder than he normally would and like you can you can um, you can read on his face like the distrust and you can read in his hand the distrust like that sort of cartoonish alignment of physical performance um, and uh, filmmaking and filmmaking uh, the way the way that yeah. shot is captured and the way it's edited just um, it captures the weirdness of the original movies that Mel Gibson is a big part of like Mel yeah. Gibson is a weird presence in the, in the other movies. He's full of charisma and oddness, but it's not, it's not the lethal weapon charisma. It's not the, I'm a manic talkative guy who can string together all these words in a charismatic way, but also I might have a few screws loose. Like he is like a silent protagonist and, um, that like when he gets frustrated is muttering under his breath and like it's pain in his eyes and his face a lot more, which is kind of what Tom Hardy is is pulling off so well. So I was I was actually just surprised that like again, not that not that it's like Tom Hardy's doing an impression of Mel Gibson, but he is doing uh, a, a somewhat of an impression of Mad Max, and he's doing a very good job at it. Yes. Uh, I think one thing we should talk a little bit about this movie. So, this movie uh, was this movie has such an insane relationship with. Um, I just put in my notes like feminism, um, and because I'm like I, I can't get into the whole thing. I remember it very well. Really brave of you to shout out feminism in your notes. Uh, yeah, thoughts feminism question. No, <laughs> um, and the reason I bring it up that way is that this movie gets rightfully lauded for. You know, being a a feminist movie that it's a movie about like women empowerment. Furiosa is a really good character. Like it is a Mad Max movie where Mad Max takes kind of backseat to Charlene's Charlene's Theron, and it is just about like these men who are you know uh, brutalizing and using women as objects in the same way they are trading gasoline and and bullets and like breaking breaking out of that. And there's a lot of great stuff in there and and then but what's weird you know in the context when this movie was released you have like two ends of the spectrum so you have all the the shitty like you know the people that like cut women out of star wars movies now because of course women weren't never in star wars movies before 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 jj adrams and the 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 liberal elites got a hold of it or whatever but like so you had like those people how would women even breathe in space no idea Leia does it because uh, because they're I don't know what because we're snowflakes. Um, but uh, so you have like you had that contingent uh, present, uh, which was a little surprise, like a little quieter than movies now somehow. Uh, thank you, Donald Trump, probably. Um, but then you also had a large contingent of I think people who took it way too far. Like I remember. You know, people, I think giving in a little bit of good faith, probably probably well-meaning people who, like, weren't thinking about what they were saying, going on the overboard, they're like, this is the feminist masterpiece, and this is one of the most feminist movies ever made. And it's like, okay, like, 
it has a strong feminist streak, but you're still talking about a movie that's like the the title character is a man. His name is Max. It is written and directed and produced like every single person besides the editor uh, and like costume designers and stuff like that was a man. Like, you know, it's it's about a man that enables like it's not. Like, it is not the epitome of feminist cinema or feminist action cinema. And I, I do feel like, um, you know, in some ways almost a little sad and not that um, not that this movie, again, doesn't have some interesting things to say about that. But, like, I think also what it speaks to a little bit is, like, the dearth of big budget, um, like – feminist truly like feminist movies like i think some would say like birds of prey was like written direct produced by women starring women uh and also just a fucking amazing comic book action movie but like there were there's been such a dearth for so long that someone could see this movie and go finally and the epitome of feminist uh uh big budget blockbusters and like again the best – if I'm looking at it in good faith, I think people are just – were excited and ill-informed and maybe trying to to get some of that. But I think also it is just like, yeah, that's the problem. Like, this is probably somewhat representative of some of the bigger, like, uh, feminist quote-unquote movies that are um, – that, like, all bros can agree on. And it, that is more of a, uh indictment of, like, uh, you know – Hollywood's uh, uh, Hollywood letting uh, women uh, direct and write big budget action movies that it is like a, a lauding of this movie as a feminist masterpiece. But while we're there, yeah. like the fact that it was produced with um, the input of women, particularly yeah. Eve Ensler, uh, the playwright uh, most famous for vagina monologues, but has written a lot more than that. Um the, the fact that uh, George Miller took that into consideration, the fact that um, Charlie Theron on set said that, like, George Miller was, like, very respectful and that, like, yeah, they they did bring Eve Ensler to set to, like, have these, these frank discussions on set so people knew kind of what kind of movie they were making, right? This wasn't something yeah. that, like, um, George Miller was, like... Uh, well, I don't know. That might offend the crew. And he was like, no, 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 I'm going to, I'm going to bring on a, I'm going to bring a feminist to Namibia and, uh, she's gonna, <laughs> she's gonna like help, uh, make sure that we're, we're not fucking stuff up. And in this, in the other sense, like if we are, we are in an era and this movie came out the year before Trump was elected. Um, we are in an era where basic, representation in film and uh treating women as equal uh actionable partners in a movie is like still surprising like you're right it's sad that it doesn't happen very often but like it is an act of it is an act of uh of grace to Make sure that your film, which on its surface is just a big, dumb car racing movie, um, approaches its women characters with dignity and respect. Like that that's that's a starting point for a conversation, but it's not the ending point. Exactly. I don't disagree with you. It's just only in our current like how bad Hollywood has been historically is like, hey, we're making a movie that contains characters who are literally being held as like baby making sex slaves. Maybe we should consult 
a woman <laughs> on yeah. how to make sure that that's handled in a way that is like respectful and somewhat empowering. Like in an I, era it, where it, it we feels a hundred million dollars in marketing, why can't we spend a little bit of money yeah. to have a uh, you know a script advisor during pre-production? Yeah, yeah, it, it like in a vacuum or not in a vacuum, but like take take away like all the historical stuff. It also feels like the bare minimum. So it's not that I am like in any way criticizing this movie for doing that. It just feels like those sound bites got in got both like the two ends of that spectrum were like you ruined Mad Max by including women and yeah shut the fuck up you idiots and then again I think there was also some well-meaning people who got a little bit too excited to go see I like I like uh, girl movies I like Mad Max Fury Road the the biggest feminist action masterpiece of all time so I yeah it's I, again, I just think it's like that that um, tyranny of low expectations that this got as much, again, uh, plaudits as it did. For and it's, it, its theming is on its surface, which is uh, good for how much of a yeah. um, in-your-face, clear-cut, concise movie this is. Like, this is, this is a movie of minimalism for as insane and maximalist as its its uh, execution can be in moments like mm. this is a movie of lean minimalism there's 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 very little like michael bay ask indulgence in this um and i do like the idea that he was like okay just because i'm making a movie that is lean and mean yeah in certain senses and that i mean that in the sense that like in terms of <laughs> like what it's actually approaching not that it's like uh $30,000 movie. Uh, it's a very expensive movie. Um, I think the someone crunched the numbers and the budget escalated 300 times between uh, <laughs> Mad Max and uh, the final budget of Fury Road. But anyways, um, the the fact that this is such a lean, mean movie and it's it wears its feminist politics on its sleeve is appropriate. And the fact that the feminist politics are not ultimately like super deep yeah. It's also also appropriate. Yeah. Um, and it's it, the intention here is not like we're going to sit down and we're going to convert, uh, you know, a bunch of rapists to the idea that fe that women are people. The idea is like, OK, this is how I want to express how I feel about the world today. And I'm going to attach it and I'm going to filter. Not I'm going to attach it. I'm going to make the story specifically about how. um women have, have their agency taken from them at, at many, many points in life. And I don't need to get into the nuance necessarily yeah. because this is supposed to be a iconographic mythological piece that people can attach themselves to as opposed to me attaching everyone's experiences to. Yeah, my criticism is in no way with the movie. You're right. Like the movie's not going deep on anything, really. Um, oh yeah. So it's it's it is not a criticism there. And I, I I have read a couple of like feminist critiques of this movie that has uh the, it, it's not like this is a across the board something that everyone agrees handles handles some of this uh the those components perfectly or or even in some cases well. I personally think it handles. Uh, as as a as a non woman, uh, 
Uh, so for whatever my fucking opinion's worth on how well it handles it, like from from my, but regardless, like my criticism is not with the movie. My criticism is with the reaction of this being, uh, I think, overly lauded as a as a feminist masterpiece. And if I may, uh, I think one of the things the movie does well is how it lets you sit with the themes that it has brought up with uh, the women and then they meet the uh, the mothers. And then that last third of the movie, there is a good amount of that last third that is just driving across the desert and letting you just sit with what has happened. And yeah. I think it, it before we get into the uh, huge action climax, it lets you sit on uh, what the brides are thinking and what the uh, the mothers are thinking. And I think that really lets those things soak in. Um, and yeah, I mean, I we definitely talk about the action sequences. Uh, Peter, I am open for a suggestion of how we talk about them that's not like, and then they go over the motorcycle like this, and then they both go, poop boom and oh no, my think, god. I think that sounds, I think that sounds like the way to do it. So it's because it's so, because there's so much like a that. car, and it's going vroom. So the yeah. car is going very much vroom. There's a very, like, moment-to-moment immediacy that rewards you almost like a joke. So, uh, Max gets a fucking arrow in a, in his hand. Oh, my God. That he catches, he catches with his hand instead of going into his skull, but it still goes into his skull, <clears throat> which knocks him out of commission for a moment. And then, a little bit later, uh, he wakes back up. He, he it conducts a fight. You almost forget that the arrow is still in his fucking hand. Yeah. <laughs> and then, he goes and murders, like, probably four guys between this. And then he smacks his hand on the outside of the car. And the arrow pops out of his hand. And at this point, you have forgotten that the arrow was in his hand anymore. But you feel like a like a sweet, special little boy for having remembered that, that this moment happened. And it feels rewarding in the way a good joke is rewarding. Yeah. And and you laugh sometimes at, at moments in the action in the action of this movie because they feel like jokes. Set up punchline. And, and all action movies should have these little moments throughout that like, all right, so this this editing moment will happen here uh-huh. and then you're going to forget about it. Then we're going to set up editing moment B and then we're going to reward you for editing moment A and then editing moment B will also be rewarded five minutes down the line, right? Like it's yeah. sort of complicated. It's a sort of complicated like mathematical principle to make sure that you are not – we're not only just showing you entertaining shit – but, like, we're rewarding you for having paid attention. Whereas, like, I I uh, enjoy some Marvel movies. This is not the shit on Marvel podcast. But in those action sequences. You want every episode to be the shit on Marvel podcast. <laughs> for someone that, that gives these movies generally good ratings, I find the action scenes pretty... I, I don't. I don't want to do this. Uh, but I get it. Like, I, but well, it's distracting for people when I talk shit yeah. about it. But but essentially, I find a lot of Marvel Marvel action sequences kind of uh, dull and unrewarding. I don't think it's a criticism of Marvel movies, and I'm not trying to step on you. I think it's a criticism, for the most part, of how unsatisfying CGI action scenes are. I'm not saying there's not good ones, and like the Matrix movies are a really good example. Of, like, a sci-fi movie that, like, knows it's working with CGI, is not trying to, is is trying to replicate a world of unreality. And I I think, like, most action movies that aren't doing stunt work that have to, to have, you know, all these amazing, like, even Black Panther, which I love, like, 
it's best like action sequences are like the two people fighting on the waterfall because once it gets into uh, you know, f- armies fighting armies, nothing means anything anymore. And I do, I do really like those movies, and I love a lot of like big budget action movies. But like the reason people love fucking Fast and the Furious is because they're doing like they're. It's not like they're not using special effects or tricks to do those special effects, but like when the car goes through the semi and then goes back through the semi, your brain goes, that car just went through that fucking semi. And you feel like there's a visceral reaction to, like, how how um, how exciting that is. Like, how how you're experiencing that. It, like, it transfers to you. And, it's, like, the I think the, like, there's so many good action moments in this. But, like, I just think of that moment where, you know... You have, like, a, a downward shot facing up at the sky, and there's, like, these motorcycles flying over the war rig, and as they're flying over, like, in a steady shot, uh, Max and Furiosa are picking them off. And maybe that shot lasts 10 seconds, then you should go to another shot of a motorcycle flying over, and they're, like, as like in a ballet, like, orchestrating their movements to pick them off, and then the motorcycles are flying. Like, that feels just... Uh, adrenaline inducing because it's happening like it's it's not happening without wires and other things but like that motorcycle's flying over that war rig and the guy is falling off it and like and there's just like it's, i i hate some i don't hate sometimes but like i know sometimes this podcast when it comes to horror movie cgi and cgi blood and gore effects that are cgi and action movie cgi like like i don't want to become the old man podcast who's who talks about those things but like to the, to the point that like we're we're saying that those movies can't be good if they use like f- you know fake gore effects or fake blood or whatever else it is but like what i can say is that i can like the marvel movies cuz i like the story and i like the characters and i like the superhero ethos i don't watch those feeling like my mind is about to melt because i'm just seeing something that feels so unreal but is real that i need to rewind and watch it again when there are small little jokes or small little moments that the, uh, the, the the creators have installed into a, I don't want to say just director, because sometimes this is the work of the animators, but because they've installed these like little moments into uh, an action scene where they're rewarding you for having paid attention, which the, that was my criticism of Marvel movies. I don't think they reward you for paying attention. I think you could lar- largely look at my phone and look up and be like, oh, yeah, um, that guy won. It doesn't even feel like the directors are like, how long do we got to do this for it to seem exciting before we can go (laughs) on to something else? Yeah. Yeah. It feels like it's it's, it's charging that up, that charging up that sort of excitement engine. It's taking advantage of the score building. Um, Whereas with this, having an actual war rig and having actual objects smacking into objects and having like actual pull guys up makes you feel a sort of sense of danger and a sort of sense of stakes that like, your, your brain just knows the difference between CGI and who knows in 20 years, I might be saying, okay, can't tell the difference. It's finally, we finally crossed that threshold. But for now, like I can very much tell the difference and my brain just sort of treats it like white noise after about any, any effect over 10 seconds. Very often. That one of the things that, that makes it uh, all the more effective in this movie is that when you see people looking at things that they are actually looking at things, 
They're not looking at a tennis ball. I mean, sometimes, obviously, they are looking at things that, you know, have happened previously. But when you see the brides in the war in the war rig, it's like they are looking out at actual things that are happening in the distance. Yeah, th- that sense of scale is like on screen and you can. One of the parts is I, I like the sandstorm thing scene just because the sandstorm itself looks super cool and you know them the car is approaching it but i'll tell you when the when the like one of the the moments in this movie where i'm not having a like visceral involuntary reaction to the action scenes is when the cars are getting whipped around in the storm right because that's like the one moment of the movie where i'm like oh those cars are not getting whipped around in the storm and it's not a bad scene i'm not saying that they should have taken it out but it obviously doesn't have that same propulsive energy that every other scene that I'm watching. And I think I just – I like – Yeah. The coward th- George Miller didn't want to drive his actual crew into a tornado. <laughs> yeah. What what a coward. Um, but I just think like t- – t- Peter, to your point, like – He should have let <laughs> – God damn it. <laughs> John Landis direct the movie for that one day. No, 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 no. <laughs> Uh, John look. Landis would have had the balls to kill half his crew. Yeah. What worst thing is going to happen to John Landis's reputation <laughs> at this point? He had Max uh, Landis. John Landis can't go down any further. So why not? Have- <laughs> why not drive a film crew into a tornado? I am dis- I am disassociating myself from this podcast right now. <laughs> Good luck, motherfucker. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I was like, yeah, George Miller seems to care about his crew. You know who doesn't seem to care about his crew? John Landis. <laughs> um, so... I, the, but the thing is, like, when we talk about good CGI, we're talking about, like, oh, that CGI looks good. It doesn't look obviously fake. But there really isn't, for the most part, like, especially when it comes to these kind of action sequences, like, convincing CGI. Even the best CGI, it's not really meant to fool you. It's meant to, I think, make your brain go, this is fine. I can accept this and fill in the blanks where I, like, almost convince myself, like... I know that how how movies work and this is fine. Like, and so I think we just have gotten used to that. I see um, Spider-Man swinging, uh, you know, through the through a city. I don't go that looks fake, but I also know that Spider-Man is not swinging through the city. And so, like that that reaction that you have, where you're like, "Holy shit!" The speed and and all that other stuff just isn't really real because. You know, I, I like I I don't I know that's not what's happening, and so I do like in these movies or any movies that does these practical effects stuff like that, or even like why people go back and cite stuff like the French Connection or Bullet as having some of the best chases of all time. It's because like I don't need my brain has to do no work whatsoever to fill in any of the blanks that what I'm seeing is actually happening. And that does make a huge difference when your brain can shut off and you can just be, like, overwhelmed by what you're seeing on screen. Uh, You know, that does make the difference between, I think, how those action sequences affect you. And in a movie like this, we're not just talking about, hey, remember that crazy train chase and French connection? Like, we're talking about, like, hey, remember the movie from beginning to end, basically? And I think that's why, like... I know we're kind of getting to a little final thoughts territory. Like, I do think that's why this movie is so amazing. It is giving you 
a level of like visceral action consistently for two hours in a way that like I don't think like your brain is meant to handle because you just have never seen anything like that. Like bullets, not that good of a movie, but it sustains itself in pop culture. Cause it has an amazing five or 10 minutes, like, you know, car chase. Well, this is I mean, two and, hours. Of and, that. and everybody wants to fuck Steve McQueen. Everyone wants to fuck Steve <laughs> McQueen. It has the greatest special effect of all. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, it also <laughs> Steve McQueen's sexuality is the greatest sex- special effect of all. <laughs> It has a special effect on my body, Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's Steve McQueen specially, because The Great Escape, also not that good of a movie, but the last... Oh, oh no. The Hold motorcycle, mo- the motorcycle oh, stuff whoa, is really whoa. good. All right. Gilded the Lily, you, you, you goof. Oh, we talk bad about Bullet, but not Great Escape on this podcast? Yeah, because Bullet's a mixed bag. I'm invited back for the Great Escape podcast, right? Of course. Good. To defend its honor. Of course. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad movie, but the reason people like it is for the last, the motorcycle stunt stuff at the end. It's great. By the way, there is a PS3 game of Great Escape, and that still makes me laugh. Fine, I'll play that instead. (laughs) What a weird thing to be like, we got the rights. You know, like, who's going to play this game? <laughs> a bunch of people that don't know what PlayStation is. I'm going to put it right next to my PS2 copy of Fight Club starring Fred, Fred Durst from Limp Bizkit. Like, what happened? <laughs> did a bunch of rights owners get divorced in, like, the <laughs> mid-2000s? Because, like, why did we have a Scarface game, a Godfather game? I don't a know. Game? <laughs> there was... <laughs> Did a bunch of rights owners go like, she's taking all my money. Yeah, I, I had Starlock 17 for Game Boy Advance. <laughs> I honestly cannot tell if this is a joke or not. No, there's, there's no Starlock 17 <laughs> video game. I had a uh, wait until dark for the N-Gage. Coming soon to Atari Jaguar, all about Eve. (laughs) (laughs) Now on your Sega Genesis 64-bit in cold blood. What they don't tell you is that the Sega Dreamcast failed because they made a Birth of a Nation video. (laughs) Now on Lynx, breakfast for Tiffany's. Mickey Rooney, no, don't say it. I didn't hit why. Can we talk about really quickly how, how much worse the world seems since the previous movies. Everybody has boils and pus. And when when uh, when Furiosa and the crew go back to Citadel, I'm like, are they still going to be suffering radiation poisoning? Like, yeah. folks, see the, the there's mutations. Uh, there is uh, uh, birth defects. Um, I don't know if that, and I don't know if that's caused by like mass malnutrition or if it's mm-hmm. caused by nuclear war but i think the movie wants it's it's nuclear war right yeah i mean i don't know if i don't know if uh the many mothers is tomatoes are gonna fix the fix the issue right yeah it's spelled out that it's nuclear war in road warrior right like yes. so so it's it's pretty i think was really causing all the problems in the welts is the the really poorly thought out water distribution method yeah like, you can hit with that water it's gonna leave a mark it's coming out really uh, – there's not a good way to contain it. I'm just like, if water's limited, I don't know. Get like a tube of some sort. Yeah. But from digging into the uh, to the previous three movies, because I, I didn't watch all three all the way through before watching this again. Uh, it's interesting that Mad Max and Road Warrior, there's a lot of green off to the side of the roads. And also, they have actual roads. 
but yeah yeah man Ma- mad max is definitely like uh i think road warrior resetting uh the timeline in a sense and saying okay well between all that there was a nuclear war and yeah. oil shortage and all that um uh, that that sort of implies that Mad Max is like a soft apocalypse or a pre-apocalyptic yeah. movie. I, I think in Max, I, I think in Max is essentially he's still a cop, and society is still fall- a job. He's, society is still yeah, falling but society's apart. yeah crumbling. crumbling but it, but you know it's still there. By the time of Road Warrior, it's gone. Yeah, and I do like I really like that because one thing I didn't get a chance to talk about is um, how much like. Compared to the other Mad Max movies, um, this doesn't feel like street combat. This feels very much like naval combat because the roads are gone. It's just like they're all ships on sand. Like yeah. even the way that they've like set up for how they um, how they board other ships, like their entire like fighting or infrastructure, or whatever you call it, is based on like uh, like we we can't get across the the water. Uh, easily so here's how we're gonna have to load people onto the ship and um it's it's so interesting to watch because um yeah in the other movies it did feel like yeah we're racing cars but like no one's just gonna be in this rig for for days and days and days without uh without stopping or without going to a camp or without pulling over to the side of the road like as you said Joseph, there's no side of the road. It's just all a desert, an ocean of sand, yeah. essentially. So so you basically have to survive like you're going out to sea. Yeah, they'd basically be driving five minutes and then they'd have to empty out their filters, right? Because they'd just be filled with sand. Yeah. We're introduced to uh, Morton Joe crawling out of a healing pool. And maybe that water is also leaking down to the populace. I don't know. Crawling out of a healing pool, covered in boils and pus, somebody is blowing some sort of either healing powder or sun protection powder. I think the war boys might be covered in um, some sort of powder or sand um, to help protect them from the sun. I thought it might be like a talcum powder type thing. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, I thought. Yeah, I, think I thought they were going to do some gymnastics later. <laughs> yeah, it's flexibility and sun protection. Yeah. Um, Pummel horse. And and then they give and then they they give him a this is very interesting so he's hiding his deformity in some ways um, because he looks weak and, and and infirm when they first introduce yeah introduce him but then he goes out and he gives this big speech but not before they put this like clear plate on him and they put like um, ro- almost Roman armor on him to make him look like he has a six pack. But the the clear plate on the back that shows his boils is very interesting. Like, is he trying to be like, all right, yeah, I've got a metal six pack, but also I got cancer like you guys. Radiation cancer bros. We're together. You don't want to overthrow me. I think it's hard to judge the style of the future. I mean, he also has metals which are completely meaningless, and yet they're like, they're shiny. People respect that. <laughs> it's true. The shinier, the better. The chromier and shinier, the better. I like that at one point this guy is like, 
All right, gotta start a cult. That's how I gain power. He probably, like, that first time he, like, sprayed spray paint on someone's face and mouth was probably like, I don't know if this is gonna work, really, but I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna really commit and be like, we'll see you in Valhalla! And, like, the guy's like, great, great job, I'm gonna go! He's like, oh my god, that fucking worked? I just spray painted. And, and, uh, George Miller was putting on this, uh, you know, zillion dollar production, and then he was like, who do you want to play your your masked villain? Um, and this is post post Dark Knight Rises, where people talked about Tom Hardy in the role a lot. And he was like, "Uh, want my old friend from Australia to come uh, do it? Um, <laughs> I mean, he'll do it for like nickels or whatever. But uh, he's <laughs> you're not gonna put his name on the poster, right?" And they're like, he's, "So he's not like a you know." There's not like a Tom Cruise and he can take off the mask and everyone be like, ooh, it's Tom Cruise. Like, no, no, it's just one of my old friends. Um, he was in like the first one of these movies. <laughs> like, like, how did that conversation go? <laughs> He's like, oh, I put him in a movie 40 years ago. Uh, yeah, I do think, though, we uh, we need to we need to wrap up. So I feel like I already said a lot of my final thoughts. Like this movie's so goddamn good. You probably know it's good. Or if you're our one super friend who I know secretly doesn't like this movie, you're fine. You're still the best. No, no judgment against you. Or why would there be? Because don't dislike people or hold judgments against them based on what movies they like. That's dumb. hell yeah. It's bad. Full, full respect. <laughs> Joseph has no idea who we're talking about. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's Hitler. <laughs> Tricked you. Full uh, respect yeah, to so Hitler. The last thing I'll say is that I don't know. Like in 2015, I wasn't thinking that this reminds me of like Trump and his boys. But I got to tell you, I like like everything. It seeps into everything. It's hard not to watch Rick Dis and pic- picture like that's Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> like, oh yeah, and that he's Donald Trump. Like I know we've talked about this so much. The problem with Donald Trump is that he's like a he's a game show host fascist. So like when you watch like future fascist movies, you're not actually being like, oh my god, Donald Trump's like them. You're just like, oh, I'm watching a fascist. Who, so I'm I'm reminded of another fascist who's actually. Uh, in the Oval Office, right? Now. Classical so, fascist. Classical fascist. So it's not like no one predicted the rise of Donald Trump. But yeah, Rick, this is Donald Trump Jr. They're bad. I would say that both of Martin Joe and Donald Trump equally bad. Uh. Uh, my final thoughts. I just wanted to note that uh, every time I watch this movie, I get more impressed by the various actresses who play the brides, which we didn't get into that much. But I wanted to especially oh, call yeah. out uh, Rosie Huntington-Whiteley, who is also in the third Transformers movie, I believe. Oh, and yeah. I'm, and I'm very happy. Like the only two movies she's been in. <laughs> but yeah, it, she's a Victoria's Secret model, so she was just like, fuck this. I'm like, I'm going to go back to what I'm good at. Like, she's good in this movie, don't get me wrong. No, she, like, she honestly is seriously good in this, and I'm happy yeah. that she has this one movie that she's quite good in. Yeah, I also respect, like, I don't want to be in Hollywood anymore. I respect that. And the rest of it, I mean, you have Bradley Keogh. Uh, you know, she's fantastic. Uh, uh, Zoe Kravitz is great as Toast. It, it, it's a really good ensemble, even just past the uh, big three. And God, I love this movie. Uh, I, I think I believe I saw it three times in the theater with my wife, and uh, she's a huge fan of it. Uh, she just wanted me to mention that. Um, no, this movie's fucking fantastic. Peter! What most clicks for me about this movie is Max's journey, um, because while it mirrors Road Warrior a lot, Lone Guy gets pulled into some shit. He has a moment to bail on everyone else's shit, 
and then he his humanity barks up his his need for connection uh, with the outside world barks up. It didn't connect with me in Road Warrior on such a personal level. It was more like, well, yeah, dude, you're a human being. Yeah. Uh, with this, with this, especially uh, in 2015, 2016, I think we all needed a movie like this. The idea that um, I think a lot of us put our heads down after the 2016 election and we're like, fuck, like, I did, what the fuck do you even do? And like, I, did, I guess we just have to like sit down and bunker down until the shit is over with. And then we realized like that was not an option, right? Um, that arc uh, is like very relatable. Um, that Matt, that Max is like willing, he's pushing everyone out, uh, pushing everyone out, trying to just survive on his own. And th- that sort of cynical um attitude towards man is like very easy to adopt in situations like that and like he literally lost his family because of a nuclear war more or less you know um so he that 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 character arc and then max determining throughout the movie that maybe this isn't my movie this is this is her movie this is her story and i just have to make sure it happens is was also an inspiring message after after 2016 like the idea that we needed to um we needed to step up and start enabling women and to stop uh pretending like we could just like yeah exactly keep our heads down and just like all right we're gonna push forward we're gonna push forward yeah yeah we're all going the same direction but we're gonna push forward <laughs> um was it was inspiring in a way so it's it's a it's interesting that the road warrior arc posited into fury road at just the right time. I mean, maybe it would have been even more right, uh, you know, two years later, but at just the right time felt so relatable to so many people. Yeah. Um, and that it, it kept being relatable to folks. If you can't fix what's broken, you'll go insane. And the sort of idea that they needed to go back to Citadel, they needed to fight for what they had instead of just uh, running, is also inspiring. Look at the end of Fury Road, as opposed to the previous three movies, which are all about where is Max going. The ending of Fury Road, is the final shot is not of Max. Max nods, and then the final shot is of Furiosa and the woman ascending up. Exactly, ascending up. They're 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 riding up, and then the movie just smashes close. It's yeah, like, that's that's what this movie is about the whole time. And also, if they never make another one, which since I mean, who knows? Considering how long the last one, no one ever thought right. they were make Fury Road. Although now George Miller is suing Warner Brothers for money, and that's what's held up the uh, the. And he, he's probably right. I'm not saying that George Miller's in the wrong for doing that. Warner Brothers probably does. Uh, oh, money. They probably said this movie cost them millions of dollars, even though it was a huge hit, because that's how movie studios work. Um, but uh, if they if they never do make a, a another Mad Max movie, I think we can probably all agree that considering what Mad Max was able to accomplish in this movie, I don't think he has to be so mad anymore. Maybe perturbed Max. or Maybe a little peeved. Irritated. Peeved Max, yeah. Yes. But, like... But I think he can calm down. He sort of, I'm not going to say saved the world, but he definitely made the world a better place. Um, and and then left to go drive some more, I guess. Joseph, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming, Joseph. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for helping us wrap up this month. 
Oh, do I have anything to promote? I have nothing to promote, uh, except, of course, that the movie Firefox is fucking awesome. <laughs> Can't wait to have you back on to talk about a movie in 2023. He just really wants Clint Eastwood to make those 30 cents. Oh, guys, I, guys, I love you, and I'm I'm happy that you brought me back on to make terrible jokes about Firefox, a movie that you just didn't like, and I fully appreciate that. Yeah, love you, Peter. Love you, Joseph. We'll miss talking to you for the next few years. But <laughs> have one last hurrah. Um, yeah, you know so next talk month. about Mad Max just walking off with a gas can and then you see an explosion and he comes back covered in someone else's blood? <laughs> That's it's... the best scene in the movie. We didn't talk about it. Anyways, uh, yeah, Aaron, what, what's what's next? <laughs> There's so many scenes, Peter. We can't know, talk about all. It's, it's a good That's, that's not his all. blood. That's well, not yeah. his blood. That's not his blood <laughs> scene. Um, we really haven't talked uh, enough, by the way, about how great Charlize Theron Joseph, is in this movie. Just, Joseph, just saying it. Joseph, Sorry. I don't think we talked about it. We didn't talk about it all. She's absolutely fantastic. She's great in everything, including Prometheus, the other really great movie. <laughs> Um, that we talked about. Uh, yeah, but next month, guys, totally different. We're we're actually Peter and I are a little bit skeptical whether this month is going to work out well. But it is something that we kind of wanted to do since the inception of the show. Uh, we haven't done documentaries in general. We did do one documentary that was actually a really great episode with Amanda Lett uh, on Jesus Camp um, as part of our summer camp month. But we. The type of documentaries we're going to be talking about in April, in um, a month that we're calling Did We Dock Up? Um, Oh, we docked up. Well, in some cases, I think we did. In some cases, I think we didn't. But we're talking about, like, documentaries that were huge, big. Everyone talked about them in the aughts. And now, revisiting them from the perspective of, does this have any, like, current cultural cachet? Like, is this movie... Uh, completely irrelevant, uh, or in some cases maybe depressingly still relevant. But those kind of like I don't know if activism docs are the right word, but like you know I think the the two thousands where there was this explosion of like oh documentaries can be big box office hits. You had the the March of the Penguins, you had the Wing Migrations, and then you had the ones that we're going to be talking about. So um, next week we're kicking it off with uh, Super Size Me with guest Rick Kelly. Um, where we're going to be talking about, hey, the, the, uh, guy eats, uh, guy eats, uh, burgers for 30 days, uh, which not only I think like kicked off this, uh, uh, a lot of different, uh, a lot of different stuff, like eliminating the concept of supersize me from McDonald's as we know, but also like, I think made like a new type of of documentary genre where what if this guy does some stuff for a while? So I have not seen that movie since it came out. I think that's basically true with most of these. Uh, actually, yeah, it is true with all of these. So I'm interested to revisit that. Then we're doing um, Fahrenheit 9-11 with uh, Carrie Nelson, uh, which no one has watched in the last 15 years. So uh, we're going to be like archaeologists wondering what the fuck that was all about. I saw it opening weekend. Uh, and loved it to death. It's the, still the highest grossing documentary of all time that has literally no relevance, basically, unless you're looking for like a snapshot of what uh, the 2004 election was like. But uh, yeah, 
Peter, I'm assuming you're not revisiting that one yearly. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. This uh, may have been my only chance to watch it. This may so, be my only chance to watch it. Fahrenheit 9-11, and then we may talk about a little bit like Roger and me bowling for Columbine. We haven't fully worked that out between Peter and myself, but it'll probably end up being a supersized Michael Moore episode because God knows we're not doing another one. Uh, so we might as well get it all out at once. Uh, and then we're doing An Inconvenient Truth. With the Kosky Brothers, another movie that uh, I have not watched since it came out. Definitely a movie I imagine will be relevant, um, but it, it also will be probably the most challenging we've ever had trying to analyze something as a movie. Uh, like, oh, do you remember when Al Gore pointed to this? That was my favorite part. Um, well, as the movie's only a three and a half out of five, global warming's not real. <laughs> Yeah, maybe if they would have used more Dutch angles, I would stop uh, taking airplanes places. And then the last one is something I mentioned when we did our Full House episode. Peter and I had some demons to exercise, and there was one other thing coming up that was all about exercising our demons. Some a topic that Peter and I kept talking about that you haven't heard because Peter and I will start talking about it for thirty minutes and then we're like, this has nothing to do with ticks. I am a I am a little scared to hear what the hell this is going to be, frankly. So it's something that like Peter and I like Full House, where we kept getting into how much we hated Fuller House and deleted it. Peter and I have so many times gotten to conversation on this podcast that you've never heard about Bill Maher. And uh, so we are doing a movie that I would in theory never want to touch with a 10-foot pole again but no i fucking no. i fucking loved in 2008 and that's no. just gonna be a peter and me episode because we have a very similar uh bill maher story no uh, we're gonna be talking about religious and thank no. god it's a podcast because how are we gonna look smugly for our bill maher impression? oh god <laughs> No. We're pro- what we're probably going to do is like say a bad joke, but instead of moving on quickly, uh, wait 30 seconds for the audience to laugh at it <laughs> and then deride them if they don't, which is going to be every joke because there's no audience on a podcast. I'm pretty sure I liked Bill Maher for like a year or two later than I, I should have. Yeah, me too. This movie. Yeah. Um, so and I, I don't like this movie and I don't like him. So that's no, going to be an interesting episode. Did I tell you I saw him, like, in 2009, I saw him do stand-up? Uh, no, it was, so, yeah, Peter and I just need to get it out of our system. We need to exercise our Bill Maher, both our hate and our the fact that we probably hung on to that gravy train a little bit too long because he said mean things about George W. Bush and then mean things about religion. And uh, we're going to also make it just an apology episode, probably, for to a lot yeah. of people. Is the enemy of my enemy my friend? <sighs> not, no. oh, I'm so How sorry. Have we not done Blade 2 yet? It's a great movie. We should do instead of this. We haven't done Ghostbusters. We haven't done Back to the Future. We haven't done Indiana Jones movies. Nope. Fahrenheit 9-11 and Religious. Every every week we'll recommend other movies you should watch instead of following along with us. But anyways, we have to go. Yes. It starts next week. Good luck to us all. May religious have mercy. May uh, science have mercy on our soul. What's the the douchiest way I can say that? Good night. <laughs> good night. And good night. Thank you so much for listening to We Love to Watch.
If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. Show, we truly absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, we really do appreciate you uh, with kisses and smooches. Peter and Aaron. <laughs>